Hey, yo, what up, y'all? This is Shy the Beat Yoda. This is Sal Marauder. And this is Franchise. And welcome to The Unadulterated Shit Show. So I guess we got to introduce ourselves, right? You're going to make me go first? Yes. Fuck. All right. So, yeah, once again, Shy the Beat Yoda, one half of the legendary Dookie Bros with my partner in rhyme franchise. Born in Scarborough General Hospital. Lived, uh, where first it was, I want to say Pickering, Cherry, a village called Cherrywood. And then it was like, I, I, I swear, I moved like once a fucking year. Like I've been, I've lived everywhere in Durham region, Oshawa, Whitby, Pickering, Ajax. Furthest I moved away from this area was in 92. I moved to Thunder Bay for a year because Damn. that's where my mom's family is from. Uh, all her, bro- like 11 brothers and sisters. That's not exactly right up the street. Thunder no. Bay. No, Damn. no. And it was right when I was starting. It was grade nine. So it's like fucking like me, fear, silent. We all went to the same public school together. We did grade seven and eight. And I'm like, okay, yeah, wicked. You know, grade nine, start with my homies and shit. Nope, we're moving 18 hours up fucking north. Damn. Great. Yeah. Amazing. Grab yourself a winter jacket. Oh my God, it's the worst. Dude, I had a paper route in the winter and it was the fucking worst job that I swear to God anybody. It's like nobody else wanted it. No. You get to deliver all the papers. But do you know how many fucking, like, how many dope albums came out at that time where I just had my Walkman? I knew albums then. Like, I really knew albums then. Like, not 1993. That would have been, I don't think I would have had my job then. But I remember uh, Lords of the Underground, Here Come the Lords was like a big fucking album that I was listening to while delivering uh, uh, papers in, the, uh, in 40 below fucking snowstorms collecting money from the fucking... Yeah, but at least at least that type of music, it keeps you moving, it gets you bumping, yeah. so you can keep warm that way. Oh yeah, it was the only thing and, that did and the you trick. Had mon- and you had money to, to buy some albums too. Yep. You know? yeah, yeah. Earliest memories, my mom worked for quality records. I don't know if you guys remember that. No. It was a late they they put out fucking like mini pops and all kinds of like horse shit compilations. It was a Canadian record label. Like if you look, like I bet you if you go to your CD collections and you look at like um I think they did a lot of profile record stuff in Canada. So if you look at your Camp Low CD or uh, Smooth the Hustler. If you got a Canadian version, it might say Quality Records. Oh, so she worked for Quality Records, and I remember her actually before that, like '84, I want to say. My mom took all of us to Niagara Falls. I got my first wallet. It was a Michael Jackson wallet, hmm. and a five dollar bill in it. So it was my first five dollar bill, and I took that shit and I bought the KTEL breakdance compilation so like on the a side it was uh alex and the city crew it was like a full breakdance instructional so he's telling you like in rap form how to pop and lock and all this shit like now do you really think they're fucking listening to that shit i I acquired the fucking skill no no i think it even came with like a poster that kind of sort of showed you yes no 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 it was fucking it it teaches you nothing see that's when you had to do things the hard way and now you can go onto youtube and you can search for something how do i do this and it'll tell you exactly how to do it step by step yeah old school the b side had all the like 
early electro shit, right? Plus, it was at um, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five on the Wheels of Steel. Legendary. First time hearing that shit. Uh, first time hearing scratches mm. like uh, Rocket, uh, Herbie Hancock. First time hearing scratches on anything was like, holy fuck, what is this shit? So that I would say that that breakdance tape was my first exposure to hip hop. And then the next one was when my mom came home from work. I think it might have been 85, maybe 86. She brought home a tape called The Kings of Rap. And it had Run DMC, Fat Boys, UTFO. Like, oh, that's a like, good, good album. Dude, like, so, so think about it. One of the first fucking rap rap songs that I ever heard was Roxanne, Roxanne, UTFO. I fucking mm. fell in love with that song. <laughs> mm. Fell nice. in love with that song. And because of where we're from, I'm sure you guys had the same experiences, even though we're like, we're some years apart. It was hard to find shit back then. Like you were lucky. Like I don't think that I got exposed to like a solid run of retail hip hop until like those rap tracks compilations came out. Because mm. I remember fucking finding out about like Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, Eric B and Rakim, Maestro. Even I'm pretty sure I heard fucking Let Your Backbone Slide for the first time on a fucking rap tracks compilation. Mm. Like oh, wow. those like those tapes. Were huge, and I I, I want to say it was like grades three and four. While those tapes were circulating, me and my friend, shouts to my homie Rob Fowler, I used to go and hang out at his place at lunch every day, and he had I don't remember if it was on the radio or if he taped it off the radio, but I remember his house was the first time that I heard the bridges over, and it was like the first time hearing like a fucking like a battle rap, right? Like I of course I didn't understand anything dude was talking about right but you could tell he was going at somebody because he's like fucking you know on the wheels of steel marley sucks like fucking like he was like like who's marley and why does he suck like who like who are you so angry at right i didn't understand there was no context i didn't understand any of it i just knew after that i'm going ding, 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 yeah you ding, went from breakdancing shy to battle battle rap shy oh fuck man it Snapping was unbelievable dude yeah. but it wasn't until I heard, and this is at my babysitter's house. I, I think her son might have just left the tape deck playing in his room or whatever, right? And I was on walk by the room and I hear fucking like a dude rapping about picking his fucking nose. <laughs> you, you know, fucking years later, I come to, you know, I, you know, I, when I start collecting and become a fan, I land on my own copy of it. It's fucking Bismarck key picking boogers. Yeah. Like if you can rap about picking your fucking nose, you, rap about you can anything. rap about fucking anything so like that was the moment where i was like i'm gonna oh, rap about shit oh shit <laughs> yeah yeah i'm call myself dookie bros uh, it, was just, oh, wow. it was just me nah but like that was definitely one of those like big moments where i kind of realized like hey like there's a lot of freedom here like i couldn't sing worth a shit but i, I could probably i could probably pick this shit up i mean if this dude can get over fucking talking about picking his nose shit sky's the limit you can talk about whatever right yeah but then i would say it wasn't it, like when I heard Special Ed, the mission, the switch went off because I'd never heard anybody kick a story like that. Like dudes fucking talking about like some Kung Fu shit and like, oh my God, man, that was like one of the wildest records I ever heard. I think that was when I was really like, now I want to really do this. Yeah. 
that that was probably the the moment where I decided, okay, writing is my thing. Because before then, I was just like, me and my brother Scott were like going to all these like preteen dances and like we were studying all the dancers, like fucking Maestro's dancers, Exhibit F and DRK and fucking uh, Kid and Play and watching all the videos of the fucking the two-man team, like fucking Running Man, fucking Kid and Play kickstep, all those routines, not the breakdance shit. I couldn't do any, I had no acrobatic skills whatsoever, but I could do all those routines. Yeah. And we, we used to memorize them, switch them around and shit, and we used to compete at these dances, and we fucking killed it. So that was like, I, I was into that before I was really into rapping, but then once I started putting the pen to paper, it was over, man. Yeah, it was that's, over. It, it's crazy too, because at that time, it was true, like, you're talking about all the elements, right? And then you were talking about how when you heard the scratches on that first album, and you were like... You're blown away, right? This is bringing everything together. The DJ elements, the breakdancing elements, the MCing elements. Like these early. are all early becoming part of your life, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I started doing a lot of this stuff early too. Like when I was in Thunder Bay, I went to a dude's house and he had fucking 1200s. He had two copies of EPMD's second album, uh, Unfinished Business. And I was doing doubles. I think I was 14 years old in, in 92. 92, 93 ish. And that was when I first learned like what it feels like to fucking go back to back on a pair of 1200s. I wasn't going to go fucking wild, like scratching and shit, but like, you know, I, I kind of got the feel for what mixing was like at that time. That was the, the and, and when I learned how to scratch, this is fucked up. You remember those one piece stereos that had the turntable on top and the speakers were connected by wires in the back, yeah, yeah. right? So I cut the wire to one of the speakers because they were hardwired in. You couldn't unplug them, right? So I just fucking cut the shit and I used the balance switch for the one speaker as the fader. And I put a fucking, you had the thing that the tone arm sat on. I would rest an empty cassette tape on that and on the top of the arm to give it weight because it was really flimsy. And then I'd put, I'd put a coin on the, on the head shell and that's what gave it enough weight so that when I was scratching, it wouldn't skip. And any record I had, I had like a shit ton of Michael Jackson 12 inches with acapella. So I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm listening to whatever on my boom box. And then on the turntable, I've got like uh, another part of me or fucking smooth criminal acapella. So it's like, you know, I'm scratching fucking he he's and owls and all this other shit. Right. That was early. That was like 90, 91. I'm learning how to scratch. Nice. Yeah. It, all that kind of all that kind of stuff happened really early for me because I was fortunate to be exposed to the music like at a really early age. Mm. So yeah, those are my beginnings. Yeah, for me, I didn't do any of the uh, scratching or rapping early or anything like that. For me, I was uh, a fan. I remember I had a part-time job at a hockey arena doing timekeeping. And uh, me and my homie, we would... Oh, you guys are like yeah, hockey buddies, like it, man. man. Franchise has got the Damn. arena. He knows what's up. And, struck uh, a chord with me. Yeah, I'm just getting that paycheck. I think it was like 40 bucks a week. And uh, run to the local record shop. I think it was HMV. Um, or it could have been Sam the Record Man. I'm not sure what it was. Well, do in, you remember the first anything that you bought? Like, was it a CD? I, I a tape? know it was a tape. And it was Tribes Low End Theory. That, your first tape. That was the first tape I purchased with my own money. That's the first crazy. album. Yes, that's crazy. Yeah. For me, uh, though, like we would we would watch Rap City. I think school let out at like ten to three. Rap City came on at three thirty. 
my house was right behind the school. All my other homies, they had that 10 minute walk. So it was either come to my house or you ran your ass off to your house. So you could tape Rap City. So you had all the homies come to your crib to watch. Uh, A lot of the times they would come to my house. A lot of times they would book it because they wanted to tape too. Right. So it's like, they didn't want like me to be the only one with the tape. So they would run, get their tape going. And that's how, and uh, I was really exposed to hip hop for me as a discovery as well as my older sister listened to hip hop and she was friends with uh, a local DJ here, DJ Merciless. Oh shit. And I would steal, 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 steal her tapes because he would give her tapes and I would just tax it, you know, get it right off the shelf from her. And that's how I, you know, got exposed to it. I, I tried to rap a little bit. You know what's up. I would I would show you. That did not last. <laughs> I want I want to hear this too. Oh, yeah, you oh, got to bring bro, out some wow. of those. I don't know if I have the demos still. Like like we were oh, rocking demos too. Yeah, yeah. We, we did everything on a four track at that time. So Damn. I don't know if uh, like you would have the bounces. I would have them maybe backed up somewhere. I don't think I have anything. I know that I did an air band at high school. And so I was uh, on stage by myself. I was a soloist. Rap to the whole school. I think that was it. I packed it right up. I was like, <laughs> I think I ran out of breath midway through because I was so nervous. It was it was not great, but it was it was cool. Like I mean, it was it was a fun experience. It was, you know, learning how to do your thing, right? Yeah, just doing that. Being a fan for a lot of years and then ended up getting into production. Through, uh, you know, you teaching me how to do stuff, me learning on YouTube and and whatnot. And and yeah, just trying to bang out beats and, you know, go from there. It's pretty, pretty dope. Were you always from like, uh, were you born like in the Oshawa? Like yeah, I was born here in Oshawa. We're in, uh, I'm born and raised here. I mean, the music scene here was all right. We had a couple all age clubs you could get to for as a, as a young kid. And they would play good, half decent club hip hop, if you will. Like, I mean, at, back then in the, like, you know, let's say 96 era, like 95 era, they had, you know, some upbeat stuff that, you know, they would play in the clubs. Was it Regent? Regent, yeah, yeah Regent, and then uh, Opium was another one we would go to, but Regent was the main one. Yeah. I wasn't an Illusions guy. I knew a lot of a, a lot of oh, guys who were like. I, illusions I think that was guy. just before my time. I wasn't. I think, and I think that was you had to be of age to get in there. But I remember like Regent used to have like some decent DJs like there, like like Turnstiles guys and you know stuff like oh, that, okay. like, like Little Jazz and then and, and you know like Grouch or whoever like would would come through there and spin like some dope shit. Did they're here in Durham like Pickering or Ajax or Oshawa? The Regent was right downtown Oshawa. So that was always a, a good one. Like for us, that was easy to get to. So you know what I mean? You could just roll up there. I think they had all ages nights Friday, which is an, a weird night for an all ager. Mm. But uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was Fridays. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing me back. <laughs> Franny. Yeah. The Toronto guy. The Toronto guy. Yeah. The, ofi- the official Toronto guy. Yeah. I'm actually from Toronto and still live there. Well, I'm in Scarborough now, GTA. Yep. I'm, on the, I'm, on, I'm on the tip. But uh, yeah, grew up in, in East End Toronto all my life. Regarding getting into hip hop, I was born in 85, so I I was a little bit of a late bloomer when it came to, uh, you know, like there's a lot of obviously stuff that I had to, you know, do my research and, and sort of roll back the hands of time on to catch up. But yeah, I got into hip hop in and around like 96, 97. You know, my brother, uh, my cousin was always like, you know, he had this, uh, this, this Chevrolet Cavalier, or I think it was a Cavalier hatchback. And he souped it up. He had nice. it, you know, painted teal and had the big system inside. And, you know, just on top of the world, whenever he'd come by and scoop me up, scoop my brother up and we drive around just listening to music. And like, 
You know how you get that when you have the music pumping so loud that people are looking at you like, what the fuck? Like, who are these hoodlums, right? You just get that rush. You know, like you're, I was just driving around with a f- cheesing the whole time. Like, yeah, everybody's looking at us bumping like a like Snoop Dogg doggy style and just like classic shit that, that caught on to me, you know? And then, and then even my dad, like my dad during that time, that was really like one of the first albums that I got into like fully was, was Snoop Dogg doggy style. My dad, we used to drive around listening to that shit. And just I gotta like, say, man, nothing makes a guy feel older than, you know, me saying like fucking, you know, I'm talking about Alex and the city crew and you, y'all are talking about like, fucking low end theory and fucking Snoop Dogg well, for that, Christ's sake yeah, man and, and, and that's exactly there's gonna be times where I'm gonna be sitting here looking at you and looking at Tom and being like eh yeah, yeah, I, I kind of remember that. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about right now. But when it comes to DJing and shit like that, like I was never a DJ. I was never into DJing. I totally respect the art and obviously, you know, like watching you do your thing and, you know, get getting a little more into that and like, you know, just uh, brushing up on the history of DJing, but of MCing and of, of actual like, you know, of hip hop in general. Yeah, I got in around like, yeah, 90, 96 in and around that time. First album I ever purchased was Midnight Marauders. So again, myself and Sound Marauder got something in common. We got the the hockey arena and we got got Tribe as our first albums that we actually purchased. I purchased that from Sunrise Records at at Gerard Square. There used to be a Sunrise Records in there and right beside that was a Foot Locker. I used to go in there and wish that I could purchase a pair of Jordans and moms would just be like, nah, you're not getting those. I remember in 96, the 11s came out. The the Jordan Retro 11s and uh, with with the patent leather and Jordan was wearing them in the playoffs just like one of those sneakers that was like a classy but like very classic silhouette and I remember going back to back like going from Sunrise to, to Foot Locker back and forth all the time and yeah so that was my introduction into into hip hop and yeah just like you I used to go home my brother and I would be upstairs I'd be downstairs we'd be uh, watching Rap City and 106 and Park and, and recording videos and making our own little mixtapes that way you know listening to the radio stations and like trying to, to catch certain songs might catch it halfway through be like fuck when is this gonna play again you know, maybe tomorrow we'll come back and, and listen to the show when it begins. So yeah, man. And we then a better uh, chance of getting repeat songs here because like the video shows here didn't have the access to the library that they had in the US, right? So it was like there were a lot of repeat videos and oh, shit. Yeah. Like I I'm guessing you were both like not listening during the uh was it Soul in the City era. No. No. Right? That was the show that uh, that Michael Williams used to host before Canadian Rap City came about. Damn. So that okay. was the show yeah. that we, it was just R&B, but then they'd sprinkle in a little bit of rap here and there, right? And then there was Rap City, and then I think Vibe came about. Much Vibe? Yeah. Uh and that was another blend of like R and B and hip hop. So you'd get you'd get a you'd get a half decent mixture. Yeah, I miss that stuff, man. I, so I miss I. watching much music and like having live guests in and doing interviews and you know the different shows that they had on. Like, hopefully, we get back to that someday. You know, like you know, yeah, uh, that was a, a, having a, Yo MTV raps and shit like that. Like, I I miss that, man. Yeah. Miss the you know being able to to throw on like coming home and, and and throwing on much music or throwing on BET or whatever and like it was a whole excursion, you know. It was a. I think it was ninety one. We made a trip to Detroit to visit some family friends. Stayed there for a week. This is when I got my first pair of Jordans mm. as a gift. They were so dope. But like the only thing that I could think of was like 
I need to see Yo MTV raps. So I asked the people that we were staying with, like, is it okay if I like borrow a VHS tape and, and like tape some shit? And they were like, yeah, yeah, go for it. Here, here you go. I'm like, so I sat in front of the fucking, I, I still have the tape too. It's labeled 1991 Yo MTV raps, big blue letters across the bottom. Damn. Yeah, that's dope. Yo, adore, let it all hang out. Man, there were so many classic videos on that fucking tape. And then to come home, to our shit. Yeah. I was just like, Bunch so, so early down. I knew that like there were American shows because I think at that time, the Yo! MTV raps, the, the member, the, the cards. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. So I knew of it, but I'd never seen it because we didn't have it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was my first time getting to see it and bringing that tape back with me and showing people. It was just like, yo, like Ed Lover and Dr. Dre fucking interviewing like Brand Nubian and all these fucking guys. And then, then performing and yeah, you know, there getting was to see them live. Performance. Yeah. yeah, and flawless, usually just flawless. Shit was unreal, performances. man. Performances, yeah. So yeah, I would say video was definitely one of the major ways that like when I was younger, uh, how I discovered shit. But then radio, like college radio, like once I discovered the Power Move show on 88.1, was that, that at midnight at that time or was it earlier? No, that was like, that was um, from one to four in the afternoon on Saturdays. Though you're, you're probably thinking of Master Plan show on 89.5. Okay, 89.5. And that was, um, I want to say, yeah, I think I it, remember I, it was late. It was yeah, late I think, I think for... it came on at like, at like eight or nine at night. Mm-hmm. So it was like Saturdays were the fucking best because you'd get your three hours in the afternoon with DJX and all them. And then you'd listen to fucking Cyclone and them at nighttime. But like Saturdays was like, yo, if you caught the tail end of a fucking song in the afternoon and it was the shit, you were listening that night to yeah. see if they were going to play it again because it was like, like for the first little while, they were both pretty much playing the same records, mm-hmm. right? Until down the line when there's so much music to play, Master Plan played a lot more like West Coast, mm-hmm. like more hard, more harder shit. And then, uh, and, and I found Power Move kept it more, more East Coast and more I like upbeat. that. That's the variety, right? Instead of hearing the same thing all the time, like on one hand, you want to hear the same stuff because like you said, if you missed a joint or if you really like a joint or you like a certain style of music, you know what you're getting both in the morning and at night, but you get the variety of, you know, different regions. Yeah. It was never like how it is on commercial radio where you hear the same thing over and over and over again, mm-hmm. but a good record would find its way into the blend for at least a few weeks it would mm. it's not like today where like fucking like if you get a new song you play it one time and then you probably forget that that song even fucking exists yeah because there's a thousand fucking songs coming out all the time now yeah back then it was just like it was certainly quality over quantity mm-hmm. so there wasn't a thousand fucking records to choose from it was like here's the dope shit that just dropped yeah this is what we're gonna play more than likely at nighttime you're gonna hear that shit and there and also there's a high likelihood that you're gonna see videos from most of the stuff that you're hearing because mm-hmm. yeah. it wasn't so much independent shit it was mostly all major indie or major so you'd get a lot of that stuff showing up on on so it's like you hear you know fucking first time hearing like a pete rock and cl or fucking lords of the underground like you knew like you were gonna see a video pop up for that shit yeah oh man man this is what's gonna be dope about this podcast is like we're coming from you know a bit of a different era each of us right so we're gonna get different perspectives again i'm gonna be sitting here i'm gonna be learning too because a lot of this stuff that was happening back 
back in the 80s and the early 90s, like I was still young, you know? Yeah. I was in my daddy's sack when you started, you know, listening to, you know, really discovering shit and like getting into DJing and like so different perspectives, you know? We should probably talk about like how we all linked up and how we all know each other. I run a, a full-time buy and sell company, Shy's Hip Hop Market. I, uh, I buy and sell hip hop collections, CDs, tapes, vinyl. And this dude was like my top CD customer for a minute. You were saying earlier about like if, uh, when you're talking about your moms and, and, and the company she used to work for. And you're like, if you check the back of your CDs, like I don't got CDs anymore. You have all my CDs at your place. Like I got his records. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Now, now we're doing a consignment deal and I'm reselling them back to the public. Yeah. Yeah, 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 a lot of gems in there. I don't know, like maybe maybe not so many now compared to a few months ago, but yeah. It's depleted. Um, yeah, it's depleted. Yeah. But I know we met at HMV. Yeah, so the first time, so I, I was I was browsing the marketplace. I, I can't even remember what albums I grabbed off of you first, but I saw, I saw that you were in Pickering and I'm like, ah, this guy's not too far. You know, like coming east is a lot easier than going west when you're coming from from where I was coming from in Toronto. So, so it was a CD purchase. That so got, it was a that CD got, purchase. Okay. Yeah. And you were like, oh, we'll just meet at Pickering Mall. And I'm like, yeah, fuck. Yeah, we met up and uh, just started chopping it up. Uh, I remember walking from inside the mall where the HMV was back to the parking lot and we just started chopping it up about music. You started talking about, you know, being part of First Division and like, um, you know, a bit of your history of like at the time, I think you were still like you were just getting into back to making beats. So that probably was that like 2016? Because I remember no, that. this is way before 2016. Had the First Division album dropped yet? First Division, when did that drop? 2015? Yeah. So yeah, because it, was, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't until like actually yeah, it was he, late 2015, early 2016. Like like my beat folder starts in 2016. I have nothing before then. Yeah. So yeah, maybe it was 2016. Maybe and it was. I think it was still maybe January, February. Like it was winter. It was, was yeah. It was ground. early it was when I purchased it. Yeah. So yeah, and then uh, yeah, we just started chopping it up. I told you that I was into the beats a little bit. Talked about like the different equipment software we used. I was just a Fruity Loops guy. I remember you're like, all right, yeah, you know, uh, show me some of your shit sometime. Like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, I, you know, and at that time, like, fuck, like, I kept things pretty much low key. Like, uh, I, I was doing my own thing, you know, making my own beats and writing my own rhymes and recording. I did something with one of my other friends. Yeah, I don't, I didn't really let too many people hear my beats. So I'm like, ah, oh, this guy who's like an actual musician that's like, you know, been on stage, rocking stages and shit's going to listen to my stuff and be like, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, Dude, thought we had it. some fun <laughs> battles back then though, <laughs> yeah. man. So yeah, like you never know, but that's the thing is the measuring stick, right? You never know if you don't let anybody hear what you're doing, you don't really have a measuring stick as to how it'll be received. So yeah, and then, uh, and then we just kept that connection. I kept, like you said, I was your number one custy, you know, like I was grabbing stuff all the time and I was grabbing like, you know, two, three, four hundred dollars at a time, just like grabbing everything I could. And you were one of the few people that like, if you place an order, I'd fucking drive out to Scarborough to fucking deliver it to your house because I knew, okay, we'll, we'll chop it up and hang out for a bit. Like we got pretty cool, like pretty fast. This yeah. Yeah. And then it became more like, you know, I was still grabbing the odd thing here and there, but it, it became more of me coming and kicking it at the studio when you're over there, when you're in Pickering, whatever, where I was, I think on Plumber or whatever you, yeah, wherever yeah, you yeah. were. And uh, yeah, just like watching you do your thing. We started doing, yeah, the little beat battles, you know, choosing the samples and Neil going Hefty. back and forth. Yeah. The Neil Hefty, like all the Charlie Brown samples, the Vince Guaraldi's. And that's like part of the inspiration of 
the the, the Christmas album. I think you were the one that got me into like YouTube digging for samples. Yeah, 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 yeah. You put me, you put me onto a few. Not, like not going to mention any of the no, 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 any of the any of the key ones, but yeah, like it was frustrating because at first we were doing it like virtually you know we you would make yours i'd make mine and then we'd okay i'm done i'm done we'd email them back and forth to each other and then we started doing it in person we did it in person a few times and like i I was still trying to put my drum patterns together and you were already finished your beat just like all right you start playing it and i'm just like turn that shit off i'm trying to fucking focus on putting my drums together and uh yeah man how much has changed yeah exactly exactly and then well now i don't i don't even fuck with the beats like you're that that's that's all you and um yeah, yeah well, that's, that's because that's, you're a fucking master with the pen bro but that that's yeah. yeah that's that's where it started it was it was uh all revolving around music and then uh, and then sam marauder i met you obviously through shy you know and right away like obviously anybody that he associates with is cool as fuck so right away i realized that you're a super great guy and now you're fucking yeah we're, we're doing this yeah i have Obviously, I have memories of me being at McLaughlin, you being at, was it Dwyer? Dwyer, yeah. Right? And us being at the fucking bus stop looking at the girls with the skirts and shit because you went to a Catholic school, yes. right? So yes, it was like, yes. yeah, that was fire. Yeah. Was yeah. Wearing a uniform at school fucking sucks because you want to have your own style. You want to be able to flaunt it. You know, you get a fresh pair of shoes. You get, you know, a new jacket, a new shirt. You want to wear it to school and feel like a million bucks. And then when you're wearing the same shit as everyone else, it's like, all right, I'm I'm limited to what I wear on my feet. You know, but it was all right, though, because you could surprise people. People were so surprised that I was a hip hop head because for one, uh, I had like a longer hair at that point because that was the style back then. And uh, so I got this uniform on and nobody knew. And then you'd open up the locker and people would be like, what do you mean you got the source? Like, you know what I mean? You got all these like hip hop heads on on your locker and they're like, what are you? What is this kid listening to? You know, so it's a big surprise. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I got to interrupt. Okay. When you mention your locker. All right, that that reminds me, and you know what the fuck you, you're <laughs> yeah, smiling yeah. already. All right, <laughs> but when I started the hip hop market, eventually I convinced you and your homie Mike to sell me your fucking tape collections. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> How many? I still have like a couple drawers of tapes with the fucking inserts. Like the tapes are in pristine condition. What still is intact from the inserts are really great, except fucking scissored off pages. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. These motherfuckers used to cut up their tape inserts and hang them shits in their fucking lockers. And and on the wall, too. On Both the wall. of them. Both of them. And they were always the same fucking tapes. So I have like nine cloud nine. And here's another nine cloud nine. Oh, and look, and they're both cut in the oh, same yeah, yeah. fucking place. <laughs> because, you know, you, you can't let your homie hang up the good album or the good ah, artist. You guys are, so, yeah, yeah. You guys are pricks <laughs> for that, man. Yeah, and there's probably a never, never a thought that you were going to actually sell the collection until this oh, guy yeah, came yeah, in exactly. and he was like, guess what, boys? <laughs> I'm glad that it was a small percentage, but like, it's still like I have like, uh, I still have like a full drawer of all these tapes that I don't even know how to fucking sell to yeah, people. Yeah, it hurts. Because it it's hurts. like, oh yeah, well, then when I say damaged, damaged insert, I mean like literally fucking like. Yeah. But even still now, I, I wish I had the, the Source magazines because we did the same thing with Source magazines. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, now I'm like, oh, I wish I still A, had them and B, didn't cut them all up. Right. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so yeah yeah, 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 that was dope. But yeah, speaking of that, like me and my homie, that's how I met you is we uh, mutual was it, friend. Was it Mike? Yeah, my friend Mike. Uh, one of our girlfriends that we, like she was just a friend that we hung out with. 
knew your sister and we all hung out and I don't know if they went to your house and you were like playing stuff in your room or whatever. And then we started like getting tapes because you did mixtapes yep. and we would buy mixtapes. And then when I went to high school, so I think that was a year before high school, I went to high school, you went to the school across the street. So I'd meet up with you there and keep buying those tapes off you. Well, I remember I used yeah. to make custom tapes for you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like this is before I started making like the tapes that Fear would do the artwork for. And yeah. then we'd do like mass dubbings and fucking oh, go yeah. to different schools and fucking sell them shits <laughs> like that. I think when I needed the first tape, I lost the master for it. So I borrowed it off yeah. of you to make a copy of it. And there were a couple other ones that you gave me that were like the custom joints. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah. Yo, this is fucking wild i'm not like yeah you it's know crazy. i make one copy and i just fucking give it over right i don't have yeah i don't keep a copy of it i'm like i made this for you these are the songs you wanted so here you go one of ones yeah. yeah and it was dope too because for one it was like kind of back to that chopping it up like what you were saying right because i get home i'd listen to it and then i have to get back with them and be like all right well who was that yeah you know what i mean because either you would write it or i would like i remember four w's non-fiction, uh, non-fiction. yeah and i was like do they have more because like, I I didn't know, right? So it's like, oh, so exciting. Yeah, those those tapes. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, from there, we just kept hanging out, chopping it up, and then you guys met and hung out, and that's how we met. Yeah, it's dope. It's weird that, like, you know, in our later years, we've done more shit together than we did. Like, like back then, it was kind of like, I just see you randomly. Mm-hmm. But now, like, all three of us are doing beats. I mean, you, you say you say you're not. Yeah, but like, no, on, I fell man. back, but it's just so easy these days to do. As long as you have the time and the dedication, you can do all of this. Like, I mean, you have to know how to do it. Obviously, you have to know how to put together a podcast. You have to know how to, you know, have the right equipment to make beats. You have to know how to sit down and pen a rhyme. Speaking of which, shouts to the real ramblers, Lee and Bill yeah. Howard. If it wasn't for that, I don't know if we would have actually, because you've been trying to get me to do a podcast for fucking years now. And I was just yeah. like, no, no. Can I, can I, can no, I tell you something? So I, I really appreciate what those guys do off the hop. I have to be honest, I didn't like, there was a lot going on, so I didn't really pay attention to them. And now I'm like... Yeah, what's next? Like, I love the personalities. I love the knowledge. I love the passion. Everything that those guys are doing is amazing. And right now, every single time Taylor and I go to see a film at the theater, we leave the first, for, I don't, I forget what's the Dropbox or whatever the, what's that? Letterbox. Letterbox. Oh, yeah. She goes on and, and, and right away, our routine, her friend Gabe, who does the same thing. He's got his own podcast and does movie reviews, like in depth. Same thing. She goes to Gabe and she goes to Bill. She's like, Gabe gave it a four. Bill gave it a three and a half. So like, <laughs> I know right away. And now, and now, and now the last one we saw, uh, what did we see? It was um, Poor Things, Emma Stone, really fucking weird movie. But anyways, we get into the car and the first thing I say is, what did Bill and Gabe give it? That's And Lee's on there too. I got to get her following Lee because I'm not on that, but you know. Yeah, I started, just I started doing there. the letterbox as well. Yeah? Oh yeah, it's so funny because uh, Fear hooked me up with it. I didn't know about it at all. So of course, uh, you know, I follow Bill and, and you and, and Fear. So I'm starting to do my, my star ratings. I'm not doing reviews, but I give a lot of stuff three because, you know, like for me, that's average. I will watch it again. Yeah. But it's not the greatest. <laughs> my wife's sitting there going, how are you giving that a three? Because I'm cheap. Yeah. <laughs> I'm cheap with yeah. my ratings. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm real, real picky with the stuff. Like I, I think like even Oppenheimer and like movies that were like probably going to clean up at the Oscars. I mean, I think I gave that a four. But other than that, a lot of the movies that released this year, I gave very 
low ratings. They just weren't like, I, but you got to keep in mind, I'm going to see like Barbie with her. I went to see Barbie yeah. with her. I fell asleep. I got to be honest a couple <laughs> times. Like I, and, and she got mad at me. I'm like, I can't give a review on it because one, I don't like the movie. It's not, not for me. And yeah. two, I fell asleep and didn't watch half of it. I so. fucking love Barbie. I mean, I, I love, different strokes, I right? It. Different love, strokes. I fucking loved that movie, man. Yeah. It was hilarious. Fucking Ryan Gosling as, as Ken was fucking hilarious. Yeah, I mean, the I, cast, I'll give him that. The cast was fucking unreal. And it was so weird. Like, it's such a fucking weird movie. Like, that's the thing is it's very it's accurate. It's truly bizarre, man. It's not, it, dude, it's not what you think it is. It's okay. very it's accurate really in the sense it does, it, it does give you the impression that you're like in Barbie land. It's just very well done. The props that they use and everything is just so well done, but it's not for me. I like action. I like crime. I like yeah. thrillers. And that to me Same. is, you know, just a couple like funny parts, ha ha he he. But I was never even like growing up, Barbie was a huge thing, but like I'm not I used to I used to go over to my cousin's place and, and like go into their room and cut the Barbie's hair, you know, <laughs> with the scissors and like fucking change their heads and shit. You know, That's like amazing. I was a sick <laughs> yeah, fuck. I used yeah. to take I used to take a lighter and a fucking an aerosol can and set them on fire. Like <laughs> that's what I did with Barbie. So like And franchise now has therapy. Yeah, yeah that's messed up, yeah. man. That's messed up. Yeah. I was dark. But yeah, that was just just a quick salute to the Real Ramblers. That's a podcast that I produce for my friends, Bill and Lee Howard. It's a fucking amazing movie podcast and for sure was the catalyst that got us here because having that experience with seeing how we were putting everything together, watching how they studied and put their notes together and were able to like, just use them as like a light guideline, but, but never, they were never really sitting there, like just reading off of their phones. It was just like, let's make sure that we're staying on point and on topic. And the conversation is flowing consistently and the humor is there. Like, I was like, okay, you know what, man, we could, we could fucking do this shit. We could do this shit. Hopefully. And honestly, it's weird. We're doing it. We're doing it right now. We're doing it right now. It's weird though, because like for this first episode, we're kind of just getting our feet wet. Our personalities, like we're some sick fucks. Like we are wild. Like we don't give a fuck, you know? The Um, unadulterated shit show is not a fucking, you know? And and you can tell by, you know, our musical content and the way, you know, our videos are. And so we're, we're being very civil right now. When the wheels fall off, watch out. Yeah, it's gonna get it's gonna get fucked up. It's yeah. gonna get real fucked up. Yeah. So we should probably, uh, before we get out of here, discuss what our goals are here with this podcast. Because I'm just gonna keep it a hundred right off the bat. We've been struggling trying to figure out how to create content to help push our music because mm-hmm. we realized after putting out so many fucking EPs and just not really being all that good with the promotional side of things, it comes down to having a lot of content and creating content. It's just a thing that stumps us. Like we just want to like real shit. We just want to make fucking music. We just want to make beats, write raps, make videos, fucking our music videos. But there's all this other shit. Now the fucking industry doesn't give a fuck about you until you've built up your own audience. You basically got to be a fucking, well, they, they got to look at you and be like, Oh, they've already done it. Now we'll step in and fucking help them out a little bit. We'll we'll give them our resources, but they've done the legwork and built their brand by themselves. They want to make sure that, that you've got the following, that you've got the attention, the eyes are on you. If you only have small viewership, they're not going to push your content. They're not going to want people to see it. They only want what's popping at the time. And unfortunately, we've determined that that probably means, you know, 
following the trend and we're not with that. We're not with, you know, some of the stuff, obviously what's working with people, we're going to follow the trend because that's exactly what works and that's exactly what we're trying to do. But a lot of the stuff, we're not going to follow the trend. We're going to break the rules. We're going to bend the rules. We're going to do things like Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. We're going to do it our way. Nice. That's, we're yeah, not. They get this guy's singing on hooks. Listen yeah, right? yeah, You heard yeah, that? You've yeah. auto-tuned that shit? <laughs> Fuck. That was fire, bro. Mind. But, you know, that's that's what I think is going to make this podcast unique too, is that it's, you're just getting, you're getting yeah. our personalities as as a trio. And when, when, when Fear finally gets his ass here and he's finished work, you know, you're going to get a, a, a lot of personality and get to know us a little better. So, see, uh, talk about some hip hop shit and see where we're coming from. Yeah. Very important. Mm -hmm. Let people know uh, what we like before we start getting into the fucking meat and potatoes of future episodes, which I'm, I'm looking forward to. Oh, yeah. well, we, we, I, we're not trying to like beat people over the head with information right off the bat. Like, we're we're, we're going to have some fun, starting with a whole gang of fucking top fives. Yeah. yeah. Right? So like the next episode after this, we're going to be doing top five favorite MCs. Top five favorite MCs. Yep. Yeah. Well, that, that's going to be good. And then we've got our producers list ready, favorite albums list ready. Duos, uh, groups. Duos groups we got all that shit ready well then let's get the fuck out of here man and get on to episode two let's go all right cool all right, all right. peace y'all peace